All right, Spags, we are no longer just a morning show, Friday, 10 a.m. when we normally get together. We got a special 2.30 p.m. show today and a special guest, a multimillionaire even. Yeah, a man who has won more money than Pete and I combined, perhaps by a, a multiplier or two. Pat Corain joining us here, of course, the Best Ball Mania 3 winner. He wanted to come on to debate some players we've talked about, which guys right now, according to market ADPs on underdog, looking overvalued, which guys undervalued, which rookies should we be thinking about? We're going to talk about all that right after this very short intro. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Splash Play here on a Tuesday afternoon. And of course, joined once again by the great Pat Rain, man, we've had on in the past here on Splash Play. Of course, Pat, we've gone no guest mode recently. So you are initially getting us back into guest mode. And what better guy to start with than the man who put in the work to earn the millions? <laughs> yeah, happy to be on. I was listening to uh, your pod last week and I had this like very strange experience of like either completely agreeing with everything you were saying spags or completely disagreeing with it so uh -oh. I, I like i was like there were seriously times where i was like what is going on like i was no middle ground so i uh, i'm excited to jump on and talk some talk some fancy that's all the credibility i needed pete how are you doing of course you you're doing guest booking now again so pete's officially throwing his hat in the ring now bringing on the big names once again to splash play are you excited to be in that role once more i i, I do want to just say pat literally booked himself for this i didn't even want it on here i mean doing ship chasing with him is enough once a week so no, i mean i'm not doing any booking pat's the dms and said i want to battle Brees hall and i was like all right let's fucking go not not a good sign that Pete's like, oh, I've had enough Korean. I've been on a three-week vacation. I've done one ship chasing in a, in the last month. <laughs> no, we. I used to, in the first iteration of Splash Play, we were booking regular guests. I think I would always get us a guest for, I believe it was our Friday show. And uh, now I've gotten lazy. And that's what Brian and I do on Lulz, too, where guests just book themselves. And it honestly works out well. So... You know, if you have even a moderate level of clout and want to come on Splash Play, slide into the DMs. Yeah, unless you're the Island Mortgage King, I think he booked himself enough times. Yeah, that, enough, to do enough times, yeah. Yeah, that red carpet not being extended. No, maybe when we get back to low ball. But let's pull something up on the screen here. Let's talk about it. We have the rookies and free agents on the screen, of course. I've been doing the legwork there. I know Pat's sweeting some takes as well out about the rookies. Pete's starting to come along. I saw drafting some on best ball breakfast yesterday. Uh, but Pat, where do you want to start your gripes? Because we have the rookies, we have Brees Hall, who's on the thumbnail, because he's the one that you were uh, DMing Pete about. So where can I address your complaints right away? Well, let's start on the positive side, because, and I guess maybe this is out in the ether, because I've seen uh, Dalton Cates uh, bring up a similar name. But you, this was like, like I said, like things where I was either like, ah, oh, that's exactly what I think. Or I was like, oh, I got, I got to come on and debate. But the... It, that had happened enough to where this one really kind of messed with me. You you mentioned Quentin Johnston mm -hmm. as you said, like there's like a 10% chance he's DeAndre Hopkins. And I literally, I'd just been watching him like the previous day. I was like, it kind of reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins. I actually went back and watched some DeAndre Hopkins at Clemson because I was like, am I crazy? So like that one, I'm I've been I've been kind of a little bit. I wouldn't say mystified, like semi-mystified that people don't seem like that in on him. And I guess like I just I don't have like the context of why, like when I I'm kind of coming in later, I don't watch a ton of college football. I'm kind of coming in later and I'm like, this guy seems to have everything we're looking for. He might be the number one wide receiver drafted. He's got, you know, breakout 
uh, season. He was he had a very strong is a small sample, but a very strong freshman season. He's an early declare. He's going to be like pretty athletic. I think he's got size. So I'm not saying he should be like, you know, the clear wide receiver one necessarily, but he is like quite a bit behind Jackson Smith and Jigba in these drafts. And uh, it's like, I'll take some Jordan Addison when he falls and I have the choice because Addison generally goes ahead of him, but I'm in a a lot of these big board drafts and Johnston will just be sitting there uh, as kind of the last guy, almost like he's in a different tier than these other two. So that one, that one uh, is one I think we're in agreement on. Why is he Why is he getting treated like he's not in the same tier as these guys? I think it's one thing that jumped out to me like last year and in general, you know, of course, like I work at Football Outsiders on a day job. So I do hear them kind of talking about uh, the big board we're putting out there and just like the stuff that, you know, NFL GMs, like those guys actually talk to NFL GMs and kind of have some read um, when they're meeting up at the Senior Bowl and the Combine and that stuff about what those guys are looking for. Quentin Johnson's the only big receiver in the class, like which I think matters. And people love talking up Zay Flowers. I think there's two things going against Zay Flowers. One, he's small. Two, he's going to be a guy that's mostly a pure slot. He ran outside a little bit, but wasn't that great out there. And he played at Boston College, so he doesn't really have a pedigree. Whereas Quentin Johnson played some real games last year. He also had a QB that's not even a pro prospect, so it's not like you can say like, he was popped up a bunch. And one thing, too, that I know ports over you know, last year, the rookie running backs coming in, those guys where they excelled was the avoided tackle rate stuff, where they are missing tackles at a really high level. That's one stat that does tend to you know translate well from college to the pros. So when I saw Quentin Johnson, he's leading every rookie coming in, a 38% avoided tackle rate, and he's 6'4", mm-hmm. and he's a big-bodied guy. He's probably the only guy in the class that can beat press coverage like reliably. That stuff matters, and I think that's where the fantasy parts don't really combine as well with the real-life football parts, where Quentin Johnson's going to get on the field because he's a big guy and everybody needs an outside receiver. And I think like they're going to be taking him early enough where you also push him on the field too. And as long as he doesn't land in like a Tennessee situation, he's going to be good off as long as that offense is actually passing the ball. I like, even if he, did... Oh, go ahead. Well, sorry. Just like, even if he did land in a Tennessee situation, like, I mean, Burks was going ahead of where Johnston's going now. So like, it almost feels like, I don't know, just he's a very easy click for me. I'm not like hammering him, I guess, because there's lots of other guys that I like in that range. And I want to make sure I get Addison exposure as well. But um, but I'm like feeling like maybe I should start hammering him. I do think the the chat brings up a couple of good points about maybe just general sentiment, like heading into it, why they might be down on him. Uh, our guy Chipsy, of course, bringing in the TCU wide receiver uh, sock, the two mm-hmm. last guys to be highly drafted, uh, Jalen Rager and Josh Doxson, who uh, burned us both. And then Nick also mentioning the uh, sour taste from the national championship where they just completely flopped. And obviously those are hilarious reasons to be, you know, downgrading a specific player. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's carrying over a little bit. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, it certainly wasn't a high profile success, which I think, you know, does matter a little bit. But I just remember that, you know, going into the those two games, the two championship games or the two you know playoff games, TCU was like a gigantic underdog. So the fact they even won one of those games, and I think you know, Quentin Johnson at least was there and active in that one, I think speaks more to him just kind of overcoming like a team that probably shouldn't have been in that bright light. But ultimately, what really matters to me is just like the size and the fact he's going to be drafted in the first round. And I think you know, Burks, I still would go back to the well on, like if we could redo last year again, I would still take that shot. But ultimately, like if Quentin Johnson lands with a good QB, or if he lands, especially if one of these rookie QBs coming in, and that's like the foundation of the Houston Texans or somebody like that, I think he's really live to have a ton of upside. And everybody else in this draft is just like kind of a slot guy. So yeah, Josh Downs is a guy I've heard. I know Anthony Miko is pretty high on him. You view him as like a, a pure slot as well. 
I mean, size wise, he's not that big. He's at, uh, let's see, I got him at 5'10, 175. Um, also didn't avoid tackles that well, 16% avoided tackle rate. So he's a small guy who's going to take big hits. I think that's not a great combination. Um, EPA wise, which is one of the things I look at, like the estimated points added, I think is kind of important because if these guys are contributing at that level in college, like it should theoretically give them better shots contributing to the NFL. He has one of the better marks there, 0.512. I just think he's like a lot behind Smith and Jigba, who was like a 0.86 EPA guy running out of the slot, like who created a real upside, had 200 plus yard games. Um, and downs, you know, like North Carolina compared to playing Ohio State, like you're playing a few more real teams if you're Smith and Jigba. So I would put him pretty far ahead. I just think I would take downs over Zay Flowers. Though. I think Zay Flowers is just yeah, a guy that, okay. um, like kind of a Sky Moore type to me. I mean, not to immediately open up the old wounds from last year, but like didn't what do you play mean real from last year. I'm, yeah, I'm going back to the well. <laughs> I know Pete wants to immediately rebel against that one, but I just I think we fall in love a lot like as fantasy guys with these small guys, and it's like I'd rather have a big body dude to created value. Uh, so do you guys both think Quentin Johnson should be going ahead of Jordan Addison in big board drafts? I don't know if he should be going ahead or not. I just don't know why he's like not ever going ahead. Like he, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't even seem like he's in the same tier. You know, there's like almost, you know, that 10 gap that you're showing there, like just from being in them, it feels like more than that. Like occasionally Addison will fall, but Johnson, I'm like, there's also a tear break right there, which is maybe why it's so in my head. But it's like it's like down to Rashad Bateman, and like maybe maybe Burks might fall, um, and then it's like Johnston, and often like pretty much everyone that I want goes, and then Quentin Johnston's sitting there. I'm like, oh sweet, and I don't, I, I feel like that shouldn't be available to me. Yeah. I Vapor, we were saying this too. Someone comparing Flower Swaddle. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Player comp Twitter has been driving me insane now that I'm actually like doing my prep work in advance and kind of aligning this things where everybody is comparing to guys and it's like Flowers to Waddle is just their small guys. Like Waddle was great in college and had all the advanced metric stuff. And I feel like people are so excited to like say, oh, this guy's like this guy is a means of understanding that now everybody's equating these guys are probably not even close to the same talent here. Comps are tough because I think like, for me, like as someone who's kind of coming in and I'm trying to get familiar with a lot of guys quickly, I think it's very helpful. And I'll do this a lot with the running backs. I'm like, this guy kind of reminds me of this guy. He kind of looks like this guy to me, but I mean it more of like a stylistic thing. And then I guess like I'm using the numbers to really dial in like how good I think they are as opposed. So it's like not like a comp of, I think he's going to be this good. It's like, I think he's going to be this type of player. But that's not, but a lot of other people use comps as like, I think he's going to be like this mm-hmm. level of player. So it's a tough thing. That's what, when I hear the comps, I try to, yeah, erase the ceiling case and just be like, oh, this gives me a shorthand thing. Like if you could only write right. one word down to help me know what this player is, a comp is probably the best way to do it. But I do agree. Most people just assume the best case scenario. Uh And like, if you're going to comp people naturally, like you should comp like a lot of people to Josh Kelly and like, and like, but that's not actually that helpful because like, I don't now, like, I can't really even picture how Josh Kelly runs because he never on the field. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, and I guess one thing that I think the Rotoviz does well, like with their prospect guide is they have the box score scout Sims and they give you five names and they can really run the gamut. Like right now you can look at the Quentin Johnson, um, and you can get T Higgins and Justin Jefferson, and then you can also get Jonathan Baldwin and Jalen Rager. And it, it does show you, it like removes all the ceiling scenario stuff and just says as a prospect before they hit the NFL, 
this is who they look most similarly to. And then you actually see the range of outcomes. You could be T. Right. Higgins. You could also be Jonathan Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, look, it's always a range of outcomes for this stuff. Like I think, especially when you are drafting now where we're drafting earlier and earlier every season and you're drafting with no insight at all. So where these guys are going to go, even the mock drafts have like Smith and Jigba. Some of them have going early second round. I don't think that's possible, but you know, Quentin Johnston too, I've seen go early second. Some, in, some mock drafts, he goes top 10. It's just hard because you're doing double guesswork basically. But I think that's why I kind of gravitate more towards a Quentin Johnson. And I love Jordan Addison. Like I'm biased towards USC guys. I want them to be good coming in. Addison's a small guy who had his best success running out of the slot at Pitt. Pittsburgh. Then he goes to USC, runs more outside. And he kind of comes back down to earth in terms of his you know, advanced analytics stuff. So I think I have concerns about him just being able to beat the press and like be able to do the stuff that like fantasy wise, like they just see Jordan Addison highlight reels and he's been as touted as anybody in like the NIL kind of world. But now he's coming into the NFL and it's like, he's just a small dude that's going to get squeezed at the line every single time he's out there. Where are you at on Jackson Smith and Jigba, his potential to play on the outside? Because this was, you know, Justin Jefferson got kind of hit as a, he's a, he's just a slot guy. Um, but I think maybe you were making this point that, you know, it's like, where was he supposed to play? Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were there. So of course he was in the slot, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's like, and then we didn't see him play this year really at all. So um, is he, is he definitely a slot guy at the NFL level? I know he's not, he doesn't have the biggest size, so maybe he is. I mean, it's tough because like guys like Khalil Shakir, you hear like the preseason reports about him and people perceived him coming in from Boise State as like he's going to be a pure slot guy. And then he plays outside and is probably, you know, as good as Gabe Davis was, I think, in the preseason, according to at least the camp reports. Obviously, that didn't end up showing on the field that much. But I think these guys you know, probably can play outside a little bit more generally than we give them credit for. Um, with Smith and Jigba, I think the main things that jump out to me is like, can't what can he do in short space? Because if he's gonna be playing outside, like he's just kind of have to have a different skill set, basically, be able to take advantage of his route running out there under 10 air yards throws, like a 0.769 EPA uh, the year that he played his last full year. So like he was still good there. Um, I think even if he is just a pure slot guy, like J Justin Jefferson had one of the best years we've seen recently, and he ran a lot of his routes out of the slot. He actually generated most of his value running out of the slot this past year. So Maybe it's just a matter of kind of filing slot guys differently. Like you want to be able to yeah. move around to do both. Jamar Chase, like he had the big playoff game running out of the slot a lot. And that wasn't a thing he did at all during the year. Like it might just be a different way of like looking at slot guys instead of saying, oh, you're a pure slot guy. Like you, we kind of have to downgrade you as a result. Yeah, we don't really care if you run out of the slot. We care if you aren't on the field for a full right. slate of routes. And like, what? yeah. I feel like the the Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff is fascinating to me just you know, how people thought about him a year ago, how they think about him now. Then I was looking at all the early mock drafts and he was often the third, sometimes the fourth wide receiver off the board in those mock drafts. I think he's climbing up a little bit now, but then you head to underdog. He's the first wide receiver off the board. And you guys were just talking, like if people think about him more as a slot wide receiver, especially half point underdog, it's not necessarily where you're getting super excited about Jackson Smith and Jigba's profile for underdog scoring specifically. So I guess I'm just having a hard time reconciling the NFL potentially being slightly down on him, but underdog drafters thrusting him up to the clear number one wide receiver off the board. Yeah, it's been tough too, because the big board's filling so fast that it's actually, I think I got, I've been maybe caught out a little bit where I wasn't drafting him at first. And I've only done like 15 drafts only, but like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a, a portfolio has been made necessarily but my initial thinking was i'm not going to draft him because once people realize that he's not going to be probably the first or maybe even the second or maybe even the third wide receiver drafted 
he won't be getting drafted way ahead of all these other wide receivers and I'll be able to get a better price on him. But the, the big board might fill next week, you know? So I don't know that that better price is ever coming. It's tough because, like, stylistically, I think these receivers all are kind of different, too, where Smith and Jigba does seem like he's mostly an underneath guy. But Jalen Hyatt also ran a lot out of the slot, and he was just a pure downfield target. I kind of worry with Hyatt that he's inflated because of the way that Hendon Hooker played. Because, uh, like, the year before, Cedric Tillman was also really good at Tennessee, and then he wasn't good this year because um, he just wasn't playing as many routes, basically. But, like, I worry that that's sort of that offense being downfield. But that said, like, Hyatt was really good. I think he gets some positive comps as well from guys like Will Fuller is a comp I've heard from some draft people mm. that I think. If you're looking at the positive, like, that's a nice one. Uh, 0.763 EPA per target, guys. So, like, he was creating material value. Uh, so, like, I think Hyatt's, like, a completely different player than Smith and Jigba. But both guys, to me, look really good fantasy-wise because with where they're going to get drafted, they're just going to be on the field because that's where the draft capital is going to put them. Yeah, it's uh that so he's Hyatt's someone that I've been taking some of um because he's like avail he's an available in I think like a nice range where there's not a ton of other receivers that are that are particularly interesting. Josh Downs as well. Um is there anyone like deeper in the class that you're into? Because I feel like it kind of oh, do you know anything about this guy? Um I don't know how to say his name. He's the, the guy from LSU. Uh oh, Boutte, Boutte, yeah. yeah. What happened? He had, uh, he had a crazy good 2021, and then this 2022, like, n- like it was awful. Do you know what happened there? I numerically, I agree. Like he looked really bad. There's something that I was doing initially where I pulled when I did the first video for Splash Play, kind of looking through all the sports info solutions numbers and kind of going based off of like mock drafts, the guys who I had to look at. And I just looked at the 2022 numbers only. And some of those guys look so bad, like Boutte looks so bad. Um, Tillman looks so bad. And then you go to 2021, uh, Smith and Jigba would be another guy that basically didn't play this year. And then the last year was when he was really good. Like those guys, you kind of do have to look at the two-year sample more. That said, like Boutte played enough this year. He ran 31 routes per game and he had a really low target per out run rate, 22%, which is basically like lowest out of anybody who's currently being uh, pegged to get drafted right now. So I just think Boutte might not be that good. I know he has some elite athletic traits, but like, you know, you're playing at LSU, which is probably about as close as you're going to get to NFL competition and you're not producing above average. I think that would give me a red flag in terms of taking the, well, you know, the jumps to the next level. So I'm in not six in games, six games in 2021. He had 508 yards, nine touchdowns. That was good for 29% share of yards, 53% share of touchdowns, 41% dominated rating. I believe he was a true sophomore in that year. So to have a 41% dominated rating was pretty awesome. 25% as a freshman, which is very good. Not like a true breakout, but close. And then in 2022, he has 538 yards, so 30 more yards than he did as a as a sophomore, but 11 games compared to six games the year before. Only two touchdowns down from nine. Dominated rating drops from 41% to 16%. Like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I think it's I just coming it. down to earth. I mean, I think that's where the tough part is, and that's why, you know, we're not – like NFL draft guys. Like, I think that's where the thing is different for us where that, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't want to take flyers fantasy wise on guys that showed nothing production wise. Like that's where I, I kind of land with it is that. Yeah. Especially if you're in a small college, like people like some of these small college running backs who went to like East Carolina and it's like, okay, if this guy didn't have outlier numbers in East Carolina, how is he going to have outlier numbers in the pros? Your best possible outcome then is like Pacheco, which is fine. Like if you land on the right team, you have upside. But I think that's where people kind of don't look for the guys who actually were great. 
in college. And I think if you were great in the SEC, that's the highest level. If you were great, you know, like Dalton Kincaid, I love a tight end. I think he's an elite player. He's going to be really good. He played real teams at Utah. I think that's what matters compared to like Trey McBride, who was like the top EPA tight end last year. And he played at Colorado State and kind of didn't play anybody. So, okay, but in the chat, Chipsy Lark says, Google some of the news stories about Butte. Butte. And I was like, I've I've seen some of this on Twitter. Uh, people, someone was saying like, "Oh, he's got a colorful history." What What am I? Sp- I did Google and I didn't see anything. <laughs> what, if, oh, let's see. what is this cryptic stuff? I think we got drug charges. It looks like. Okay. So because people keep like, oh wait, no, this know. is the Butte man, a man from Butte, Louisiana. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize to Butte family. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Let's see. Um. Do you, do you guys in general would say like these three wide receivers at the top ADP wise, do you think these ADPs are generally efficient or do you think it marks kind of the collective pushing up of rookies that we're still, we see the Jamar chases and the Jalen Waddles and these guys pay off their tags and we inch them up each year because Jackson Smith and Jigba is going like where Jamar chase went after people were like fudding, you know, his uh, drop balls in the preseason, which Seems crazy to me because he's not on the level of Jamar Chase, right? I don't think he's on the level of Jamar Chase, no, but he was but Jamar Chase was obviously an absolute smash where he was drafted. Yeah. So it does lead you to think like there were was additional, you know, he should have been going higher than he actually was. Um and I think Smith and Jigba was like potentially like if he had an incredible season this year, was gonna look like not Chase, but close because he didn't he didn't outperform like Jamar Chase was just such a crazy good prospect because he he had a a higher dominated rating than Justin Jefferson when they were there together and then Jefferson came into the league and was amazing and so now we have that as an additional data point for for Jamar Chase where it's like we now know he outproduced this guy who's incredible is an incredible NFL receiver not just a good prospect Smith and Jigba has a little bit of that where he didn't outproduce Olave and Garrett Wilson, but he was very close with those guys in terms of dominator rating um, his share of the offense. And he's a year younger than Wilson and two years younger in the program than Chris Olave. And we now know both those guys are really good NFL receivers. So uh, I think that like that teammate signal is really important and, he does have that in a pretty big way. And I think that for me, that definitely at least like overcomes the red flags of him really not playing this year. And maybe the NFL not loving him the way they loved chase. I I don't know that it necessarily justifies this ADP though, or at least relative to the other receivers. Like why is he going at such a premium to the other guys? That makes me a little uneasy, but. And I guess I don't know. I, I mean, I'm taking some, I'm taking some. And yeah, and I, I think I've taken one share of him. I guess my more macro takeaway is it's it's a lot more comfortable for me to like spray and pray on these rookie running backs after round 10. Like the opportunity cost is nil, but I do feel the opportunity cost of taking detours for some of these rookie wide receivers yeah. in rounds five through eight. And so I just haven't been selecting them quite as much. So we have to go back to the Butte thing, apparently. <laughs> so Butte wanted no part of Bible Thumper Brian Kelly. He ran a train on a teacher. He apparently had an orgy with his wide receiver coach. <laughs> so I can see why there weren't news articles out about that. Is this like the most self-fulfilling 
prophecy of a name since like Chris Moneymaker, this guy Dave Booty. Uh, just he likes to go to sex parties, says Ben R. <laughs> yeah. uh, he also apparently had ankle surgery in the offseason preceding this year, which actually makes me <laughs> that's what's jumping out to me is okay, maybe he wasn't healthy this year because he's pretty productive before this past year. Spags, I feel like we need to do an episode of Splash Play that's just a deep dive on his exploits. I feel like that would smash. Just like PowerPoint presentation on everything. <laughs> or if we could actually do some post-production value, like narrating a video of him. Yeah. <laughs> that rookie prospect, Keyshawn Butte, apparently coached up by his wide receivers, coaching more than on the field. <laughs> oh, but, but that's yeah, that's like the college, that's the uh, like tiger droppings message board kind of rumors and innuendos that could be completely true, could be completely made up and neither would surprise me peter overbet says he injured his ankle at a sex party which is unfortunate <laughs> probably tired all the time from all the sex yeah. Gypsy Lark. I, i'm going to all the bed. wrong sex parties because i've never come close to injuring my ankle at one of these <laughs> yeah well maybe you're going to the right sex parties i don't want to i don't want to spray my ankle <laughs> Um, anybody else at wide receiver we should be talking about? Do we want to talk about running backs? Because I think I saw you tweet, Pat, that I think you felt this class had a lot of guys who were going to be like passable. Um, I agree with that take. I also think there's a lot of guys that are going to potentially be good. And I think really the one thing with this rookie class coming in, I feel like a lot of vets might lose their jobs to guys in this yeah, rookie class yeah, because yeah. they're all barely, you know, at least like bare minimum competency, if not better than it. And I know, you know, Saquon won you all the money. I've been so down on Saquon with where he's getting drafted. Like, I think he's so overvalued. I think he kind of typifies. This is one of the things I agree with you on. I think he's overvalued. Yeah. Yeah. Like second round for him. I don't get it when I think literally he might not, he might price himself out of the giants job. And then you could see Zach Evans come in and be just as good because like there's a lot of running backs out there that have gotten paid for just being kind of average across a bunch of carries. Just to be clear, Pat's not protective of Barkley. It's only Austin Eckler is his little golden boy. You can't say anything bad about him, but you can trash Barkley all you want. <laughs> Pete's actually exactly right about that. <laughs> I've never once defended Barkley. And you know what? Maybe show up in week 17 if you want me to defend you, okay? That's how it works. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree. Like, I don't think – I like, the numbers that I've been looking at, Barkley doesn't really – pop in terms of what he did last year from an efficiency standpoint um even like looking at the analysis that i do i was kind of running guys through the legendary running back analysis that i i read up in the summer and you know what you're looking for there is um you know guys who are on the younger side guys who are going to catch a lot of passes and barkley outside of his rookie year hasn't caught passes at an elite level and i think you know he's probably if he's in if he's in new york which is what probably what we want because we know he's going to get like every touch. He's also with a mobile quarterback, and it's unlikely he's going to get peppered with targets. I mean, if he wasn't peppered with targets last year when they didn't have any wide receivers that are like trying out, they're playing like David Sills, playing Marcus Johnson before they eventually land on like Hodgins and stuff. I, I just don't, I don't, that's about as beneficial a situation as you could be in for running back receptions as there is. And he still wasn't, it wasn't like Eckler where, you know, the entire passing offense was running through him. So, I'm with you. I think I think Barkley's a little bit overvalued, but one of the reasons that I think he's overvalued is that why aren't we just taking Brees Hall? I don't. I, I'm. I was blown away by your Brees Hall take. Brees Hall, honestly, was in position to where he was going to make a play to be the 101. This guy was going off. He's a second year back. He's highly drafted. The team completely turned everything over to them. They completely lost faith in Michael Carter. We saw. You know, they're playing Zonovan Knight over Michael Carter down the stretch. 
no competition to really speak of. At the same time, Carter's on a rookie contract. Knight's on a rookie contract, so they're not a team that's likely to draft someone. They already spent a ton of draft capital on Hall, and they need to figure out quarterback, all sorts of other stuff. So probably status quo type situation with the depth chart, and we've already saw that he completely dominated that depth chart when healthy. Seems like it was a clean ACL tear. They're talking about maybe he's even back in time for training camp. We know he's super talented, was used as a receiver way more than I thought he would. And he was so explosive. He looks like he looks like a superstar to me. So I'm like thinking like I, I'm in one of these FFPC drafts, never too early best ball drafts. And Curtis Patrick was able to get CMC at the 102 and Brees Hall on the rat, like coming back in the second round. And I'm like, what's the point of even doing this now? That's like, like it, honestly, it feels like he could have, you know, a guy who is worthy of being the 102 and Brees Hall could be, you know, easily like a 103 type of guy next year if he's healthy. Well, I, I'll defer to Pete first here because like you're pro Brees Hall too, right? So I'm the lone, like, I think he's overpriced guy right now. I did. Yeah. I don't think he's overpriced at all. I, I, I think he's underpriced. So I think relative to what any Pete, I feel like you're the one that's kind of beating this into my head. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame you, but I'll give you the credit for how genius to take is like when Brees Hall's not out there in OTAs, when Brees Hall's not out there in the beginning of training camp, because he's coming off an ACL tear, that ADP is not going to hold. So I think that's part of it right now, or I guess you can make the case because the big board is sort of an isolated period in time that he's appropriately priced for the big board. But I think when we get to May, when we get to June, when we get to July, he's not out there because he's coming off an ACL tear. And I don't care if it's a clean ACL tear. This is still a young guy coming off an ACL tear. I think he's being priced right now as though that's going to go spectacularly. And he's going to hit the field and be the exact same guy right away. The Jets could draft another running back like Zonovan Knight wasn't great, you know, in terms of the EPA metrics. But he did have a higher missed tackle rate than Brees Hall had. So, like, he was doing similar things out there. Obviously, not to the same success, but with the way QB kind of went down the stretch, too. Like, I wouldn't blame Zonovan Knight for that. I just think you're coming into a different Brees Hall situation where they can't give him the same workload because he's coming off an ACL tear. He's being priced right now like he's going to be on the same trajectory, and he's probably going to miss, you know, at least four games, you would think. And if you want to say that Chris Godwin... No, I don't think he's going to... I think there's a chance he misses zero games. And there's a good chance he misses zero games. But Godwin still took a month to be effective, too. Like, he was out there running the routes but wasn't there. Like, you know, and it's and it's running back. So I think it's really the most position where you could swap five touches for somebody else and not lose enough. And at that point, if you take Brees Hall in the second round, like, you're going to be then with a guy who might be eight weeks where he's, you know, a depreciated value. And maybe for the home stretch, he gets you there. But, like, I just don't think it's worth the price. If he misses and, four games, it's definitely not worth the price. Um, but, like... It, if you think about it from a couple years ago, CEH was going in the late second round after his rookie season when it was already pre pretty clear that he wasn't very good. And it was all basically like, yeah, but we can project him to take a second-year leap in a Patrick Mahomes offense. Antonio Gibson, and you were all looking for the guys who did this, was going up into the early second round, even the late first, if, uh, if I was drafting occasionally. So, like... That price, I think, that you're getting on Hall, where he's going at the late second, early third, I actually don't think reflects all that much optimism if he's healthy. The, I only, guess the only other... Oh, okay. go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, uh, my macro take on it, too. And I, I definitely think trying to time the market of when you're going to get your shares, I think that's a valid argument. Although, like we said, this tournament is going to fill up very fast. So, like, the Brees Hall price is going to be the Brees Hall price for the big board. 
But I, I was kind of even talking about it, about Javante Williams, where I have no problem taking stabs on him where he's going in the sixth and seventh round. It's like, okay, wait, say it's the bear case. I see people will tell me like, oh, he's not going to play this year. He's done. Okay, whatever. I torched a $10 thing. But we know the upside scenarios where Javante Williams is on the field by week one or even week four are so massive with how he plays this offense, hopefully taking a leap that I just don't mind making the super asymmetric bets on those guys. And I feel like Brees Hall is even a less risky version of that with Javante Williams. And you're just, if, if they came down right now and said, Brees Hall is completely good to go fully healthy. Like he would be a back end of round one pick right now. Like if all of that stuff was removed. So I'm just happy to take the arbitrage discount, knowing that that scenario is well within the range of outcomes. I just think you look at the guys next to him too. Like you have, uh, I just changed the screen to reflect Javante Williams, but you have like Josh Jacobs going there. You have Nick Chubb going there. And those guys to me, like Josh Jacobs is going to get paid wherever he goes because he's like an analytics darling. Like he did it at volume. He also had, you know, again, high avoided tackle rate stuff, high EPA, all those things that would look good. High DVOA, of course, football outsiders. But like point being, like, I think that's where Brees Hall to me is just not priced the right way where I'd rather have Chubb like at a Cleveland offense. It's going to be better just from, having a full year of Deshaun Watson, I think is going to be enough to get them there. ETN, you know, I think is a maybe dead even with Hall to me, but still a guy that in an offense, it should Where's the upside on ETN? Where's the upside? He's not getting used Neither to the Neither of those guys game. are catching passes. Yeah, that's yeah. what gets me on, on those. That's guys. the thing with Hall. Like when I did the legendary running back stuff, like I said, for Barkley, Hall, Hall was number one by a lot. Because if you look at like, was he using the passing game? Being a second year back, in, in that analysis, one of the things that showed up was when you see guys take a leap and how much they get used in the passing game, it tends to be in their second year. You don't tend to see guys get all of a sudden used way more in the passing game, even though we sometimes will like hope that that happens for guys. It usually doesn't. Maybe that maybe, um, you know, the ACL tear makes that a little bit more difficult for him to see a big role increase there. But he was already getting used as a receiver. He was a re- very, very efficient um, comes in with high draft capital, has size, going to get used to the goal line. Like pretty much everything you're looking for from can this guy turn in one of these massive 23-plus points per game type of seasons, Hall checks like a lot of boxes. So if he is healthy, and it is you know definitely a big if that he's healthy for the start of the season, but if he is, I mean, he, to me, he profiles as like a substantially better pick than Travis Etienne. Even Nick Chubb, who I like, but you know, even with Hunt gone, I don't know that that Chubb really has much chance of getting used in like a true three down role. So it's that extra layer upside of this guy's getting used as a true three down role, true three down back, and he's like incredibly efficient at everything he does. That's the you know like the little literal league winner type. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I mean, I think one thing, too, with Brees Hall is like, you know, the Jets, they come back down to earth a little bit, too. And then if that defense isn't as good, like maybe there's a little bit less opportunities that go his way. It's also like free agency, too. You know, like Lamar, I think the smoke of him and the Jets has kind of gone away. If Lamar goes to the Jets, like I think that cuts into the role, too. Like if that, you know, that kind of player, like there's some ways I think we can get worse for Brees Hall. And I guess that's the main thing to me is like for a guy coming off an ACL here who I agree is good, who I agree showed a you know success at volume and all that stuff. I worry that it's not accounting enough for the downsides of he's slow to get back. He has a QB that's not as good or the defense comes back down to earth and are now not defending deep balls at like a league high level. Like that's something then that we're just going to be less touches for him to salt away games. So I think there's some variables there and it's also, you know, the jets aren't a big favorite to win it all next year. They're at 
Uh, I think plus nine, no, plus 2,500. So better than you'd probably think, but still not top 10. And, you know, teams winning is what creates value for these guys first and foremost. Like that's why the Eagles were kind of able to get there as they put up so many points. I think that's where Hall, like, I think there's enough to nickel and dime where I wouldn't want to take him that high up. But if he goes 40, then yeah, you're absolutely talking me into it. Yeah. And the other thing too, I, I just feel like people are going to find excuses to start to push Brees Hall up. And one could be if the Jets get Rogers, that one people will, whether right or wrong, like I bet he bumps five, six picks in ADP just from like that news alone, maybe even more. Like it just seems like one of those things where right now, all that can really happen for his ADP are positive catalysts, in my opinion. Sure, you could say there's a setback in his is rehab that obviously, but I think the most likely scenarios are he continues to inch up over the summer. So there's a there's been a report that he's ahead of schedule, and who knows what that means, you know. And I also, by the way, just googled to see if I was crazy on the clean ACL tear. It turns out I was. He did have a meniscus injury as well, so maybe that. Maybe I'm too bullish on his return timeline, but I still agree with Pete that if we're already getting reports that he's ahead of schedule and that kind of drumbeat keeps going, then it's going to be more about like people like people like you, Spags, being converted more to people like me, where they're getting optimistic about the health. I don't. I mean, unless obviously we could get some new negative story, but generally, generally things we we tend to get more positive stuff on this type of return timeline. Because, like, unless he's like unable to do things that they expected him to do, there's no real reason for negative stuff to come out. So it's probably going to be more positive than negative on the news front in terms of the injury timeline. And then, yeah, like they can't, like they can't be worse at quarterback than last year. We were devastated when Mike White wasn't playing. Like DFS, like oh, we can't play any Jets now in DFS because Mike White isn't playing. Mike White. So Jimmy Garoppolo, big improvement. Derek Carr, massive improvement. Aaron Rodgers, massive improvement. And I think maybe some people are sort of like waiting right now. Like, I want to see how the situation plays out with the quarterback. But to me, I'm like, it's already, we already have the floor scenario. And from last year, and the Jets seem very committed in not repeating last year's quarterback situation. So even Lamar Jackson, while I agree, that might take some of the, the pure upside off the receiving end of his profile away. I mean, Lamar Jackson would still be a massive, massive improvement for the quality of this offense and putting up points and scoring touchdowns and everything. So, I, I you know, I think if Lamar Jackson was the Jets quarterback, Brees Hall was his ADP would jump up considerably. So, so Max, who would you rather Jackson. have? Sorry, go ahead. Derek, uh, Derek Henry or Brees Hall? Oh, in a draft. Henry had a nice pass game role now last year. If we're going to say that that holds. So your answer is Henry. I, I think I would take Derek. I I've taken a few shares of Derek Henry because I think he's a little bit too low right now. I'm not obviously not the biggest fan of guys who are 30 years old with all the mileage that he's had, but clearly the Titans want to do it with him. I think I think Brees Hall's my RB five. I would take McCaffrey, Eckler, oh. JT, and Bijan ahead of him, and then I would take Brees Hall. Obviously, I don't have to based on the market, but I think that's where I would have it. So so I think here what here's kind of what informs my Brees Hall take too, where Aaron's asking both at 100% Bijan or Brees. So I guess that's kind of a similar question to the Derrick Henry one. I also just think in general, all these rookies are good coming in. And I think that's where the Brees Hall bias is a little bit strong. Like I've tweeted with guys and tight ends and running backs are not the same, but like I've tweeted with like a couple people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to take any of these rookie tight ends because the guys last year are going to be second year tight ends and they're going to be good. And it's like Daniel Bellinger, like McBride, even Dulcich, like, I think are not the tier. Some of the guys who are going to get taken in the first round this year at tight end. 
for running back, I think it's the same thing. We're like, we were so, you know, oh, like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, these guys are so good. And they might not be the top back off the board this year. Like, I think it would be Bijan if you lumped all those guys in. So I think that's something, too, where if you believe in the rookies more, you should sort of downgrade Brees because he's getting pumped up largely because he was good in a class that was, like, pretty good, but not, you know, maybe not elite. Yeah, but he was yeah. so good as a rookie. I, I think, to me, it's like he looked like it you know from a talent perspective it was it's basically like cmc jt and Brees hall is like the three best running backs in the entire league like that's the level he was flashing at and i know he got hurt in october so we didn't get a ton of them but um he was a he was a very good prospect i don't think he was an elite prospect um and i don't think anyone really had him as an elite prospect like you would have Bijan, but you know it's one thing to be an elite prospect. It's another to come in and look amazing at the NFL level. So I think someone said they fully healthy. I think if fully healthy, I probably would lean Brees over Bijan because this Jets situation, I think, is good. I think this is a good situation to have a running back in because, like I said, depth chart stable and he owns it. Quarterback situation likely to improve. The team is not likely to be so, so good in the passing game that they're not dumping down to the running back. I think, you know, you kind of almost want, you don't want it to be like a perfect offense because then they wouldn't be included in the running back as a receiver a ton. So I think he's like in a pretty amazing situation outside of the ACL tear. Now with the ACL tear, I'll, I'll take Bijan ahead, but um, I don't know. I think he's like, he's set up, I think, sneakily well. Are, are you with that too, Pete, where you would go Brees over Bijan if they were both healthy? I, th I think I'm still Bijan uh, over Brees just because I think I feel similar about their workloads, but then there's zero uncertainty about Bijan's uh, health. I guess you could counter and say there's uncertainty about his landing spot, but well, no, I, I'm Bijan too if, with the health. But I would say if yeah. if we knew they were both 100, oh, if both 100, percent yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd lean with you on that one uh, with Brees. Just, I mean, the thing that was the big revelation for me is I think I expected him to be a sick rusher and be explosive. But when he was having like 10 plus target games, I was like, holy yes. shit. Like now, now we're really fucking cooking. So yeah, I've, I just, I've tasted the forbidden fruit of Brees Hall and I don't think I can stop eating. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Yeah. It's the, it's the receiving stuff. I was like, what the, what's going on? It's just so good. So is there anybody else that, I guess, Pat, that jumped out to you that you want to talk about being mispriced? Because I could talk about the rookie tight ends. Like, I don't know how deeply you've dove into those guys, but I think they're undervalued. I know we haven't touched on some of the the flyer running backs. Like, I have a I have a little bit of a crush on Zach Charbonnet. I also think that Roshan looks pretty good um, for where he's going ADP-wise. But uh, Yeah, let's talk. The, I want to talk the tight ends, but let's let's finish up the, the running okay. back conversation. Because I think it seems like we – I don't know that there's going to be any pushback from anyone on Bijan. He, he's just like – Pretty amazing prospect. Mm. Totally think he's fine where he's going. He could go quite a bit higher than this if he lands in a good situation. Um, where are you at on Gibbs? Do you have him? I have him kind of in his own tier. Uh, he's going like in the fifth rounds. Some usually like right ahead of Javante. Uh, I like him there. I've been taking him a fair amount. Where are you at on him? I think Gibbs would be more valuable on a DraftKings where you are getting the full point PPR uh -huh. just because of he does seem like he's going to be elite on that front. Uh, 309 EPA on receiving plays last year, 41% uh, missed tackle rate, which I thought was interesting. Actually a higher missed tackle rate when he's catching the ball than when he's running the ball. Um, Gibbs is tough because he can't, I don't think he could be a bell cow back. 
I guess his best case scenario is maybe you can grow into like an Eckler role, but gets stuffed uh, 23% of the time at the line. He's a smaller back too. So like, I think that's where I would worry about the pure NFL side of it, that they're going to go, oh yeah, we, he's maybe like right away, his highest ceiling role is like a Tony Pollard last year. And obviously that could okay. be good enough to get there in terms of ceiling, but game to game, like I think Bijan's is here above. And, and I think too, some of these guys going late, like Roshan, if he lands at the right situation, can be getting 20 carries and be effective with them. Charbonnet, I think can be really good if somebody gives him the runway. Um, so I think Gibbs to me, like I don't mind him, but I feel like the landing spot, it's a pretty tough needle to thread to have his full ceiling there. So Charbonnet, I've been, is it Charbonnet or Charbonnet or, or something? We get to do this. We were saying Charbonnet on, well, well, because Spags is saying Charbonnet. So like, what is it? I, I feel like I've heard Charbonnet when we, when USC played UCLA before. I want I mean, Charbonnet sounds classier. It sounds like a delightful red. People were making fun of us on chip chase for saying Charbonnet, but, but here we are. It's back to Charbonnet. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying Charbonnet until I know for sure. It's definitely not. Uh, I have him to me. He kind of looks like all the other guys and not in a, that maybe seems like negative, but I think it's like, I think there's lots of guys who are kind of in the same tier that I had Ramondre Stevenson in and Tyler Algier in, which like I was very bullish on those guys, but I was bullish on them from the perspective of man, getting these guys in like round 12 is pretty sweet. That's kind of where I'm at on Charbonnet. I don't love him as like, you know, a ninth round, eighth, eighth, ninth round pick. But um, when he falls to like, you know, the, maybe the late ninth, the 10th, I want to get some exposure. But I kind of view him as in the same tier as like, you know, Spears and A-Chain and um, Sean Tucker and even Dwayne McBride, who I wish knew how to catch a ball and was not purely a two down guy. But he's kind of exciting. Also, maybe his long speed might be terrible. But Tank Bigsby, another guy that I think might be in this this general tier um, you view him like as above those guys. I think cause he's so big, he can be the hammer that NFL teams like to have and like to give that bell cow role where like Charbonnet is six, one, two, 20 Roshan, six, two, two, 23 Bijan, six foot, two, 20, which is basically like the same as Brees hall. But, like Spears is small. Like Spears is like unequivocally yeah. a little guy. Um, Deuce like Vaughn is like impossibly tiny and people want to draft him, but Charbonnet, I think can come in and but play Deuce, like a, a can we, role. Okay, let, let's just talk about Deuce Vaughn real quick because I don't think I've ever had more fun watching a guy than Deuce Vaughn. He, I think he's incredible. Woodhead is basically it, and that's. He, I think it might be Tariq Cohen. Okay, Wait, yeah, which could have gone better if he didn't get hurt. Yeah, no, I mean it's like I I sometimes draft him in the twentieth round of these, and I don't think it'll probably work because he's like literally one hundred and seventy six pounds. But yeah, yeah, I mean he, he is the most fun guy that I've watched this this off season. He is incredible to watch. There's a role for him in the NFL, but I think if we are going to take these rookie guys, especially relative to a big board, it's like who can come in and who can be, you know, I, you know, I guess a middle outcome would be Tyler Algier last year where you start kind of slow and then you see yeah. the role. But then, you know, who could be Brees Hall potentially? Like Charbonnet, Charbonnet, whatever you want to call him, would be, I think, a guy that can come in. If he's getting 20 touches, like I think there's going to be a really valuable 20 touches. Uh, same thing for Roshan, who was like really good on a per snap level, but played behind Bijan Robinson. So people don't really know the ceiling there. But I think those guys stand out, whereas like Deuce Fawn, I take Tajay Spears a lot because I do think there's a world where he can be, you know, a team's really go-to gadget guy who can also get some tough yards. 
But I think if you really are going to take running backs, like you should take guys that are kind of big body guys that also have the advanced analytics looking good, high EPA guys. Um, and Charbonnet to me is like that guy, like him being that good of a pass catcher for six, one, two, twenty, kind of blew my mind when I saw that, because that's, that means he could be out there for three downs if he's actually yeah. a decent pass protector. What do you guys, uh, uh, people talk uh, on the Tariq Cohen thing, one comp that shows up in the Rotoviz draft guide that I like just hearing you guys describe him, uh, Dion Lewis. That was another oh, guy yeah. who was super small, but very shifty lateral and actually started getting like more than a Tariq Cohen gadget workload. Like he was getting 15 plus touches a game yeah. for the Patriots during that, that stretch, whenever he had his run. Vaughn also like, I, I was like going through the list of guys and watching them and taking notes and everything and getting a sense of them. And I like I skipped Vaughn for the longest time because I was like, he's 176 pounds. I don't care. It's just not, he's just not going to be anything. And then I finally like got around to him and I was like, he's awesome. Like he makes, he's what he does to dudes. He like changes the direction of his hips and like dudes fall down. There's like multiple, multiple clips of guys like not understanding what he's about to do and literally just falling on their ass. Like 10 yards away, he's got a guy falling on his back. I mean, he's probably not going to be anything for fantasy as a rookie, even if he has an, a, a good career because he's just so small. It'll probably take him a couple years to carve something out. But I I, I, I will continue to mix him in just because it's like he's one of those guys where like if he happens to hit, you're going to want exposure because it's going to be a very fun year. See, what scares me about Deuce Vaughn, like, again, 5'6", 176, 15% missed tackle rate on run plays, 17% missed tackle rate on pass plays. So you're talking about a guy who, like, is not missing a lot of tackles playing, you know, Kansas State opponents, you know, not even SEC. Level. But I don't, I don't, I would, I would question the charting on that, for real. Because I don't think he has guys <laughs> that, he has guys that, like, the missed tackles so far away that you couldn't even count it. Like, he's got, he's got dudes that are just, like, completely out of position. And like, yeah, when, when someone gets a hand on him, he, it it looks like a child. It looks like a child has been tackled. Like he is a small, small person. He's not going to like bounce off a dude and and go for more. But I think he is going to, he's going to make people like miss in terms of they're not going to the right space. And I don't know if that gets charted as a missed tackle or not. Yeah, I, I would just say, like, if he does, if that miss tackle rate is true to reality, and I trust SIS's numbers. Like, I think they're, like, they're a premium there. I'm lucky to get it for free through Football Outsiders. But, like, I think if you are going to pay for, like, one data source that's going to give you all the stuff that I look at, like, I think that's the one um, that does it for me. Like, if he's getting 24 touches a game and not missing tackles in college, obviously he's not going to get 24 in the pros. But, like, 5-6, right. taking a really big hits, like, I don't think he can get more than 10 touches a game. And at that point, I mean, people, people are drafting him because it's cute and they want to get Barry Sanders. And it's like, you're much more likely to get, you know, the worst possible outcome for, I don't even know. Like he's just too small. Like, he's going to get abused. He's probably just too small. He's probably just too small, but I, he does. Uh, he was pretty efficient as a receiver. Uh, 1.83 yards per route run. That's pretty yeah. good. Uh, also team. had a career backfield dominator rating, which uh, Blair Andrews, uh, has, has pointed out as being really strong signal type of metric of 85%, which is very, very high, uh, 92% in his peak year, which I think lessens like some of the concerns about the size of like, he was used as an actual workhorse running back in college. He has no chance of being used that way in the pros, but it does show that like, maybe you can do a little more than you would expect 
for a guy of this size to Pete's point, kind of like in a Dion Lewis type of way, like Dion Lewis didn't become a workhorse in the NFL, but he got used in ways that were surprising for his size. And, you know, maybe, maybe Vaughn gets some of that. That's probably enough on Vaughn because he's, he's ultimately not, he's like a 20th round guy, but man, he's fun. He's really fun. What, what do you think about a chain? Because he's another small guy. He's another kind of speed guy. Um, He's not as small. He's got about, but maybe only has about 10 pounds on Vaughn. So he is definitely undersized. The speed, I don't think is going to be a question. He's like a, like an epic sprinter. Like, I don't even think we need the combine to confirm the speed for him. Yeah. I've been taking some of them because he's not getting drafted all that high. And it's like, he might, this guy might get drafted in the second round of the NFL draft. He, the speed is definitely a thing that's going to make him come up for somebody in the draft. So if we're going to go off draft capital, like I get it. I think a chain to me, he and um, he and Sean Tucker, the guys that I think right now, ADP wise are getting the most overdrafted because mm. a chain to me, like in terms of analytics, like again, if you're going to be small and you're going to be fast, like you have to miss tackles, you have to be able to get out in space. You have to create value above average. He's got a 0.013 EPA stuff 20% of the time at the line. Uh, only a 21% missed tackle rate, not that good. And in terms of the receiving game, a negative 0.195 EPA. So he's getting blown up there. And again, like you want to see it line up. If A-Chain is fast, like he should have a high yards after catch numbers. 3.2 yards after contact, like not that high there. 6.7 yards after catch. So that'd be about half of what Bijan gets. Uh, a little bit less than half of what Jamar, uh, Jameer Gibbs gets. So like I think A-Chain to me doesn't pick any of those boxes, but... Like, it's all down to roll. Like, if A-Chain is the fill-in for Singletary on the Bills, like, I, I make that analogy a lot. Like, these guys are all going to look good. So, I think that's where you kind of have to grade it on a scale. But A-Chain, to me, like, uh, Sean Tucker doesn't do anything well. And even if you watch the highlight reel, he'll break a 50-yard touchdown against Mercer. Then it's like, oh, here's a nice four-yard run by Sean Tucker against anybody who's okay. Like, I think those are the guys that I also have some red flags on right away. Uh, but I just, like, the A-Chain thing, you get the elite speed. Sean Tucker is just literally a guy. And I think that's the guys that like going to burn you the most in best ball. Do you think a chain is going to get drafted? Like if he confirms the speed of the combine, do you think yeah. he gets drafted that high? Cause that's been, I'm kind of with you that I don't love him as a prospect, but I'm like, I'm drafting this dude. He's going like 150, and he might be like a second round pick in the NFL draft. That's not going to hold if he's a second round pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, I think he could be a better value just in terms of, you know, he gets drafted somewhere highly because of the elite speed. Obviously, that's always going to be something. I kind of think that matters less for running backs, but obviously I'm not a pro scout. They all love that that game-breaking speed stuff. But I just think in terms of production, like unless he lands somewhere really high caliber where he's filling in for a role like, you know, Miles Sanders doesn't get re-signed, whoever's a free agent doesn't get re-signed, like then maybe he kind of starts to make sense. But I think otherwise, like, he didn't produce well enough for me to feel great about him relative to size. Cause now you're going against the most elite competition and you didn't do it, you know, at AM. I don't know. Like I, I kind of don't want to be there, but um, it's all relative, obviously. What do you guys, I think a good thing, because we can, you can tell stories for a lot of these rookie running backs. Are there any that are going in the top 18 or sorry, 20 rounds of these big board drafts that you just don't want to touch that you are think, don't have really a path to being fantasy relevant and people are just caught up in rookie fever. Will Levis. <laughs> uh, for the backs, I mean, not honestly, not really because some of them go so late. Like I haven't been taking much chase Brown. Like his profile doesn't look that great to me. I haven't taken much Israel 
uh, a Banaconda. Um, but like those guys go at the very end of drafts. So like if you're one of like, and also like the combine hasn't happened yet. Draft buzz could get, I have like fairly low draft capital plugged in for those guys, which is one reason they're not popping for me. If that were to change, they would pop a little bit, at least enough to be, you know, somewhat interesting in like the 16th, 17th round. So if you like them, I, I don't have any issue with, I mean, what they cost you like an 18th round pick or, or later. So mm-hmm. I don't really see anyone that jumps out right now. Um, I, I Charbonnet has been the guy where I'm like, I don't really get why he's going at a premium to, you know, Spears and McBride. I mean, there's almost like a hundred pick premium on Charbonnet relative to McBride, which I don't get. They seem very similar types of players to me. Um, McBride's long speed could potentially be disastrous, which would, which would change that calculation a bit. But um, like, I'd rather have Charbonnet for sure, but the hundred pick premium seems like a lot. Uh, But at the same time, like, Charbonnet's a big dude who uh, is somewhat versatile and seems like he'll have pretty solid draft capital and could end up getting more expensive. So I don't have any issues if you're taking him where he's going, and I have mixed him in. I don't want to be like a a full fade on this guy, especially if his price is going to go up and it's a reasonable price right now. So I actually don't really think so. Um, I guess two guys that I would want to get your thoughts on, Spags, would be Tank Bigsby and um, uh, Tank Bigsby and Kendry Miller, where I think Bigsby is someone I, I was like a little bit too low on, and I was watching him, um, and kind of getting like a little bit a little bit hyped about him. Um, where where are you at on him? So Bigsby, I, I I went on kind of a rant when I did the running backs video here, where I think people like Tank Dick Bigsby because his name is Tank Bigsby, and even Pete did it yesterday when he was doing his stream, where he's like, his name's Tank. How could he not be a good running back? He's got the highest stuffed rate at the line um, of all the rookies coming in, twenty four percent stuffed rate. So like he just doesn't do the things that you would think a guy named Tank is, but because running backs are all kind of inherently replaceable and the fact that his name is Tank Bigsby, I think he's getting steamed up entirely because of that. Like he's not a positive EPA rusher, um, really bad catching passes, a negative 0.371 EPA um, when he's targeted. So that would actually be the worst in the rookie class as well. So you're talking about a guy named Tank who doesn't move the pile, isn't great in the red zone, doesn't catch passes well. I mean, it's a running back job, so like he can be good. If he's he explosive. Gets- he he uh, had pretty good breakaway percentage. Yeah. He's not. I agree with you. It's not what you'd expect for a guy named Tank, but um, but he does do something. He he uh, he's explosive. Yeah, twenty eight percent missed tackle rate looks pretty good. Did get targeted pretty well when running routes. Twenty seven percent tackle per route run rate. So he was there. But I just think yeah, like guys like that who I think are getting drafted again literally because his name is Tank. Um, not a positive EPA guy in the red zone, not a positive EPA guy within the five yard line. So like, what's he doing? Well, then nothing. It's just a matter of if he lands in a good spot. What about uh, Kendra Miller? Cause he's like a, he's like a 220 pound guy. Who, another guy who, by the way, who doesn't look like he doesn't run like you would think like he's this big dude, but when you watch him, he looks like Aaron Jones to me. Um, he, doesn't have that kind of pass catching profile at all, but he's like very kind of shifty and just one of these dudes who sometimes I feel like draft evaluators really don't like that type of profile. But I remember that was a big knock on Le'Veon Bell when he came in, he had to lose like 15 pounds, but when he lost the 15 pounds, he was unstoppable as in his second year, he drops from like 240 to, you know, I don't know, 225. And all of a sudden he's like 
yeah, actually, it's pretty great when you're super shifty and huge. Yeah, I think the shiftiness is the main thing I look for because, like, again, that's one thing. Like, a 33% missed tackle rate in college is probably, you know, if you're at, like, let's see, let's say an SEC team, like, that's probably a 28% missed tackle rate in the NFL, like, when you're trying to get great on a sliding scale relative to talent and all that. And, like, all the guys last year who were ended up being good rookie running backs, like Brees, Kenneth Walker, um, Spillard, I think, didn't have a great missed tackle rate. Uh, but, like, you know, Pierce definitely and, and Walker, especially really high missed tackle rates, like 33% missed tackle rates. I think it might have been 38% for Pierce coming out of Florida. So Pierce like they ended up having high way, yeah. missed tackle rates in the NFL too. That's what I look for. Miller does have that, uh, 30% for him in college. Uh, positive EPA as a rusher, positive EPA uh, catching passes. So I think he's a guy to me, like he grades out basically in every metric, I think, including missed tackle rate. He looks better than Tank Bigsby, but because people like the name Tank Bigsby, he goes higher. You know, same thing for you know somebody like Sean Tucker. Like it's just, I I agree. Like I'd rather have Miller, and I think that's where people kind of miss you know the forest from the trees a little bit as they fall in love with these guys who had volume in college and volume. We know even in the NFL year to year, like volume can be gone tomorrow, but you've been able to do those things per play. Like that's what's going to be there. That's interesting. So you actually have Miller above those other guys. Um, yeah, I'm not taking him there because, like, I still pretty late. You can get him really late and all that. But yeah, like Miller in the twentieth yeah. round, I'd rather have Miller in the twentieth than Tank if he goes in the twelfth or something like that. Yeah, I think it's like the fourteenth versus eighteenth or something. But yeah, yeah, um, that's interesting. Well, okay, so the tight ends because the tight ends, there's I've been struggling with this because we don't tend to get a ton of rookie production from tight ends. I, but, but I agree with you that it's a good class. And I just was curious to get a, like some more of your thoughts on the class, because one thing that's really, really jumps out to me is, okay, it's a deep class. There's a bunch of interesting guys, but we also have the fact that Michael Mayer is, I think, pretty clearly the strongest maybe he doesn't have going first in the nfl draft but i think pretty clearly the strongest fantasy prospect at the tight end position and might not be like that much worse of a prospect from a fantasy perspective than like a tj hawkinson or a noah Fant, or like maybe he's not even that far below kyle pitts in terms of like just the i mean he he's gonna be below kyle pitts but it's like kyle pitts was getting drafted where was he as a rookie like in the fifth or sixth round or something and okay. you can get Michael Mayer in like the 14th round of these drafts. That to me feels like a pretty big misprice. Like I, I don't know exactly where he should be going. Like maybe he shouldn't be going like the ninth or the 10th, but to get him in the 14th, when tight end dries up super, super quick where I've been drafting a, a lot of Taysom Hill. Cause there's just no tight ends left. And I'm like, he's going to be on the saints. I can stack him with Olave. <laughs> and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get a guy who I knows at least out there, um, and has tight end eligibility. But Mayer is like, he's like right there, kind of at, at usually like after Hill, and it's like Mayer or a bunch of dudes who are veterans and might not even have jobs next year. It just feels like kind of free money. I mean, I think we saw. I don't know, Pete, how you feel about it. I'm actually curious because, like, I kind of think down the home stretch of last season we saw tight ends kind of have a renaissance that I do think is going to have some carryover to this year. And obviously, you know, Travis Kelsey being in the Super Bowl, Dallas Goddard was the top tight end in EPA too, and he was also in the Super Bowl. But I think these guys are all going to get, like, there's going to be four guys drafted first round, maybe early second at tight end. And I think we're going to see tight end be more important. So I think these guys are steals, but 
I, I don't know. I might just be overreacting because people are down on tight ends as rookies in general. Yeah, I, well, I was actually just going to say, I, I wonder if we're starting to see that kind of narrative or the sentiment change on that just from this class in particular. I mean, by the end of the season, we saw spike weeks from like guys like Jelani Woods. We saw Greg Dolchich emerge. We saw Trey McBride finally get used toward the end of the season. You even see a guy like Daniel Bellinger, like running a ton of routes. Like, I wonder if people are more open to that idea, not to mention a lot of those guys did finally get production at the end of the season when we know it matters the most. And then if this guy goes, what, top 15 in the NFL draft and it goes to a good spot um i'm with you i i I hadn't been drafting him or going out of my way to draft him and i do want to start to load up more well like gerald everett's going ahead of him like gerald everett where is he playing next year probably not the chargers yeah he might not have a he might be like a 30 percent snap guy from wherever he is hayden hurst where's he he might not be on the bengals like i don't know like i i don't really get it i honestly don't really get it like He's a very strong prospect, um, and people are taking veterans who like literally might not have jobs over him. Well, one guy who's like not getting drafted at all, which I think is the biggest mistake on underdog right now. So Luke Musgrave tested like incredibly well at the Senior Bowl. Like everybody loved him, pass all the eye tests and all that stuff. Six six two fifty, and people think at the combine he might run a four four. And he was also like tremendous as a tight end target downfield uh, 0.605 EPA per target. But where he got a lot of his balls was 20 plus air yards. And on those plays, he actually had uh, an EPA of 2.04. So he was adding two points in terms of his value to the team. Every single time he was targeted 20 or more air yards. Like he's a guy that doesn't get drafted at all. And I think that's where the mistake yeah. is to me. If you're going to say, Oh, Daniel Bellinger is going to have a year of experience. It's like people are going to draft Musgrave because he has a special skill set that is going to potentially change an offense materially. And one of these guys, too, might go to Cincinnati. Like one of Dalton Kincaid, um, Luke Musgrave, Michael Mayer. Like Cincinnati has to fill the Hayden Hurst spot, like Pat just mentioned. So, like, you could end up with one of these guys in an elite offense as a potential, like, wide receiver, three caliber tight end. And I think that's where there's, like, a pretty big mistake where I just take two of these guys at the end of drafts sometimes, even if I have, like, a Kelsey, and I'll just take them because I think they're actually going to have a ceiling weeks pretty fast. Yeah, I actually don't have a problem with people taking Bellinger. I, I, I don't mind him where he's going because. He showed an ability to get out on the field as a rookie. He's going to run a lot of routes, and they don't have a ton of wide receiver competition. I do have a problem with Hayden Hurst, who is literally not under contract. He's on a one-year deal with the Bengals. He is not under contract with the Bengals. Like, what if he goes anywhere else? Like, are we that excited about Hayden Hurst? I mean, we were not (laughs) excited about him when he was in Atlanta. You know, like, he could go to the Titans and be, like, a blocking complement to to Chickaconquo. Like, it could get real, real bad for Hayden Hurst. And to your point, maybe Luke Musgrave has the role that people are drafting Hayden Hurst to have, or maybe Dalton Kincaid does, or, or maybe Darnell Washington does. Uh, Those two guys, I want to get your thoughts on, on that kind of general tier, because the other guy, by the way, that's I think in that tier that no one talks about is Sam Laporta, the uh, uh, Iowa guy. He's another, like when you watch him, I think he's got a, and PFF talks him up as a, a yards after catch guy. I think he's pretty shifty. Um, and I think he's in the mix with those other kind of non mayor tight ends, but that is a pretty strong group. I think of uh, Musgrave, Kincaid, Washington and Laporta. And you can, you can literally just take one or two. I mean, you can take one of those guys in every single draft. Cause I'm pretty sure I might be the only person who has clicked Sam Laporta in the big board. <laughs> 
So again, we we talked about our commonalities, Pat. I actually have taken Sam Laporta to once or twice just because I'm with you. Um, he had a 33% avoided tackle rate, which is a high in the class at tight end. Um, and that's a thing too, where again, he's going to get downfield, missing tackles. Played in Iowa. Iowa wasn't that good. So he had a negative EPA, but I like, I'm, you know, you kind of, you know what they are good at what? producing NFL tight ends. That's true. And yeah, and he's going to be right invited to that George Kittle tight end camp right away. They're going to be welcoming him in, but like Laporte, I think is the steal. I would also throw in Luke Schoenmacher who played in Michigan. I mm. think he's a guy that had nice analytics, but just didn't run a ton of routes, 14 routes per game, but I think can block a little big, big guy to six, six, two fifty as well. Um, but I'm like, there's six tight ends here that I think can day one get on the field. And it's again, like Trey McBride was an award winner at tight end, but he played at Colorado state. And that really does matter that he had to then kind yeah. of adjust the NFL competition, had to earn targets against players that are a tier above anything he ever saw. Mayor played at Notre Dame, played some real teams. Darnell Washington played at Georgia, played real teams. Don Kincaid again, put up 200 on USC. Like he played real teams in the pac 12. Same thing for Musgrave, like Schumacher played at Michigan. So these guys are all going to come in and I think right away be better than that McBride tier of guys um, that they were last year. And I think there's a chance too that these guys get drafted high enough that the offense spills around them. And fantasy wise, like that should be music to your ears because, you know, it's going to be, they could be better than Kyle Pitts from day one just because they landed in a spot where the tight ends designed to get seven to 10 targets a game. God, Kyle Pitts, man. I, I want to push back on better than Kyle Pitts, and I can't even because it doesn't even do anything out there. The offense just doesn't make sense the way they run it. Like, poor Drake London was actually good after Pitts went down, too. But it's like, what are you going to do with five targets per game? It's brutal. Um, all right, let me ask you. There's a couple guys that I feel like I'm maybe missing something because, like, I'm just so far ahead of the market on. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on a couple guys. First guy is Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard's going in like the fourth round. He was one of the best running backs in the entire league last year. He's on, he's likely, they're talking about him getting franchise tagged, which I think would be a good outcome for him. Get this, gets the stability. They actually started to commit to using him as the lead back. Zeke Elliott, maybe he gets, um, you know, takes a pay cut or is cut entirely. But in either case, I think Pollard's going to be kind of clearly the, the lead guy with a complimentary option. It reminds me maybe, and this is obviously an upside comparison, but it reminds me of like prime Camara when he had Mark Ingram there. It's like, yeah, someone's going to take some of the stuff and, and that guy will probably steal some touchdowns away from Pollard, but Pollard's going to be getting most of the really good stuff. And he's just so talented. The, it honestly strikes me as a dude who probably should be going in like the back end of the second round, maybe. Um, and and that would be a spot where I would still be taking him. And yet he's going in the early fourth round. Uh, I'm like, I'm just like hammering him right now. It, what am I, what am I missing? Uh, Pete, I'm curious your thoughts here. Cause I, I think he's a, I personally think he's a little bit overvalued because I think Zeke comes back, but I was just worried about the usage down the stretch last year, honestly, more than anything. My guess is you're just getting the double whammy discount, right? Like the Brees Hall one's injury related, but we kind of know what his team situation is going to be with Pollard. We People aren't for sure where he's going to be playing and they're worrying about the recovery. And so I think you're getting a nice, nice discount on him. It's an ankle injury though. Like it's not a, he didn't shatter yeah. his ankle. He, he, no, I, I'm, I'm not worried at all about the recovery. I guess the thing, I think the way it goes really bad for me is that like, this is the Cowboys. So like they draft Bijan or like something like that. Like, I think maybe that's how it goes to hell. But um, 
I don't know. That strikes me as like maybe not that likely, but of course, I, I think there's like some he goes to zero type of risk that way. But but again, he's so talented that it's hard to imagine he just does nothing. Like he was a he was an eighth round value when he was a pure backup. Now right. we expect him to be the lead back, and he's only a fourth round value. It's a tough wide receiver pocket too. I think for people like I like Amari Cooper was actually pretty good last year. I'm kind of tough. It's tough to expect him to keep doing that as he's getting older and all that. And you know whatever Cleveland does in this offseason, like probably going to add a second receiver to take some pressure off him because I think DPJ is a free agent too. But like I could see that being part of why Pollard's undervalued. That and the ankle thing combined. Um, I just worry about Zeke being there. Like they still wanted to use Zeke down the stretch. Like I think they had the concerns about Pollard being like a playoff back who could handle the load. And I think too, it's like Pollard last year, you know, when he was going in the nineties, obviously completely different situation, but like there's somebody who's going to be the Pollard this year in the nineties. And I'd rather still keep trying to get receivers and like Mike Williams, like he could take a big jump this year. Keenan mm -hmm. Allen's not there with a new offensive coordinator. Like, uh, I think there's some risk there. Hawkinson at tight end. I think that's where Pollard kind of loses appeal is that I'd rather just get a skill position guy who's going to have a ceiling. That's fair. I, I want Zeke there. I want Zeke there like bad because I think this is a good running back class. I think there's lots of guys who could, I think there's guys who have pretty strong ranges of outcomes in this class where they could surprise us kind of like a Ramondre, like a Tyler Algier, not the, the highest touted guys, but they get out there and you're like, this dude's good. And I know Zeke is not good. And so like, when you think about the, the, the type of situation that you want Pollard in, in week 15, 16, and 17 in these best ball tournaments, having him at, with Zeke Zeke in week 15, 16, and 17 of next year. I mean, he looked so bad last week, 15, 16, and 17. Getting Pollard out there relative to, to Zeke, I mean, I am just not worried about Zeke stealing away too much of the volume. I think he's going to be like a pure breather back by that point. I think Pollard could be an absolute smash in that type of setup during the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I'm with it. Pete, who would you prefer, uh, Tony Pollard or Najee Harris? Because people are definitely oh, talking up Najee more than Pollard lately. Oh, that 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 one's that was a layup. I thought you were going to ask me something something hard. Someone said Pollard or Brees Hall. Uh, I'm still Brees Hall there, but yeah, I'm uh, Brees Hall there. Yeah, I would I would agree with that one. All right. Yeah. What am I missing? <laughs> what am I missing on Tyler Lockett, who is available in like pretty much after every solid veteran receiver in the the running back dead zone is gone. You can just come in and scoop up Tyler Lockett, who's not that old, who was pretty good last year, who is like very locked into a top two role in his offense, looking like he'll have solid quarterback play again with Gino likely there. He just, I'm like, okay. It's like sort of like getting, you can come in and get, it's like, do you want Amari Cooper or, you know, any of these other kind of like veteran wide receivers who are not super psyched about, or you could just like wait a round and a half and get Tyler Lockett every time. Hey, where are you? I yeah, I have no pushback on Tyler Lockett. I guess there's just no photos of him doing a 60 inch vert uh, on on Twitter <laughs> circling around right now. Yeah, it, it is it is weird why, especially after seeing like Geno's competence this year. If anything, you would think his ADP would be around or slightly or even pushed up a little bit more than where it was last year. I guess it is, right? He he is going a bit ahead of where... He's going a bit ahead three. of last year. But last year, he was a massive value. Yeah. Um, he went in like the ninth round, eighth, ninth round, and and was a huge value there. Um, he's been a huge value, and Evan Silva talks about this all the time. He's been a huge value for like the last four years in drafts. He keeps paying off his ADP, and then 
Okay, I guess I'll play devil's here. advocate. I'll say his ADP looks fine to me. Like you're taking him over Mike Evans there, over Brandon Ayuk. Um, yeah, know. I mean, think about it compared to Ayuk, right? You've got he's got to deal with target competition from George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Juwan Jennings gets involved a little bit as well. It's not as condensed of an offense as Seattle is. You also have Trey Lance potentially tanking the offense from a passing production point of view. And they're a very run-heavy offense. And Seattle was actually not that run-heavy last year. They're definitely they're going to be balanced, but they're not necessarily going to be like you know focused on establishing it the way that um, the San Francisco probably will be with Trey Lance there. So yeah, I, I want Tyler Lockett. I think he's just a, going to be kind of an easier you know he's going to be slotting into your lineup. I think a lot more often than Ayuk. I, I guess we're assuming Geno comes back for that, right? Because I think yeah, I guess part of it is I'm assuming Geno is there, and maybe that's a overly optimistic assumption but i, I think what would be the reason gino's not too. there if they like just make moves in the draft to get someone is that the only i guess or like he wants too much money but it seems like they're kind of mutually interested okay yeah i think he's gonna get paid like i think the athletic was saying he's gonna get like 70 mil over two seasons or something probably and that's likely enough to to get it done I, don't know. Yeah. I, I think Pickens is a steal here, though. Like, I think Pickens. Uh, so, one thing that jumped out to me, and this is part of like my kind of prep and trying to put together rankings for the first time. Pickens was amazing last year, like in terms of his numbers, just pure EPA numbers, 0. 0.380 EPA, which would put him, um, you know, ahead of a lot of guys, including Lockett, including uh, Brandon Ayuk. Um, and that was with Pickett, I think, not being that good. And certainly, you would expect Pickett, I think, will improve a little bit this year. I guess maybe hard to expect a big leap because they didn't change offensive coordinators and probably gonna do something similar. But I think Pickens, to me, if we're going to talk about the age profile, like Lockett's 30. You know, Evans, I think, is probably also 30 or maybe going to be 30. Like, these guys are older, whereas Pickens did that and not a great offense, and he's going to get better. He's crazy young. Um, I feel like he fits the profile of a guy that will probably not be, you know, a 70 ADP, I think, by the time July rolls around. That's probably a good way to think about it. I haven't been that high on Pickens because I just wasn't impressed by his rookie year, his open score, ESPN's open score. Um, which uses the player tracking data. He did not rate well in that, and that kind of fits with what I felt like I saw watching him. Just like he does not separate it at all. He just reminds me of like a Gabe Davis, Mike Williams type dude. He's obviously got incredible hands. Um, when he gets targeted, he's going to be effective. But I'm just like, yeah, he has a 99 catch score per ESPN um, out of 100, 48 open score. And I'm just like, I just, I really, I just have trouble seeing him drawing that many targets um, is, is my concern with him. Yeah, I guess my, I feel like the picket thing for, or the Pickens, I'm closer to Spags. I'm pretty hyped on Pickens, but I feel like the take just has to be correlated with how do you think Kenny Pickett plays in your team, I think right? Kenny Pickett like, stinks. That's, that's, right, and that's, part. that's yeah. why I think it's probably harder for you. Whereas if you think Kenny Pickett makes a leap, George Pickens would be a pretty big beneficiary. Pickett, yeah, yeah. Pickett was not a yeah, negative DVOA guy last year, um, negative EPA on pass plays. So yeah, Pickett did not show a lot in terms of the advanced metrics, but it's year one, and you know it is a jump from Pitt to playing, you know, in the NFL. So I think there's still a chance here. Like I don't think they should take a rookie. I know I feel like Pat, you've tweeted that you think they should take one of the rookie QBs, but I feel like if you have, Pickett, oh, I would, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm like kind of more on the I'm not quite to the Kevin Cole level where he thinks like the Bears should probably take a, a quarterback number one. Although like I'm. I'm open to that idea. So like, I'm definitely more on like the, you know, and it like the Eagle, the lesson from 
the Eagles really should be in our minds right now. They had Carson Wentz and they took Jalen Hurts. He had a second round, but like, and I think Carson Wentz had shown more to that point. I mean, he was in the MVP conversation before he tore his ACL. He'd shown more to that point than Pickett has. Um, and, you know, they kept drafting. So I think generally you you should be continuing to draft quarterbacks. And if I were in the Steelers situation, I would absolutely be continuing to be looking at the quarterback position because they have a very, very low probability of, of having already hit on an elite quarterback. I mean, Pickett is just he, – he could be fine. He could be Tannehill. But his odds of turning into an elite quarterback, I think, are very, very low. So Pete's got to get running here, so we'll wrap up. But I do want to ask one last thing. Hopefully Pete can hang on for it. But um, Anthony Richardson, where do you fall on that side of the aisle here? Because I've now seen his ADP start to come up. I tweeted about him when people were, I felt like really down on him. And I think it's part of the draft cycle. People are starting to learn more about him and starting to view him as like a guy who has real upside. I think he is a great third QB to take in the 18th, 19th round if you can get him there in these drafts just because I think it doesn't matter what a stack partner is going to be. He's going to be running really well. But how do you feel about Richardson? And I guess if you have any other general thoughts about the rookie QBs. Yeah, let me pull up my underdog exposure because I I think I had – last time I checked, I had 75% Anthony Richardson through wow. like okay. 14 drafts. Like he, You're in. He, okay. he is – I mean, his price is absolutely insane. You, you get no – there's no opportunity cost. There's no one left to draft. And, I mean, I'm taking him in like the 17th round just to make sure I get him in some of these. I think like – he has probably the best fantasy profile in the draft if he gets drafted highly, and maybe he doesn't. I mean, I you know, so Bryce Young, I'm taking Bryce Young. I, I like him at cost, um, and I think he's a good pick. Um, but Anthony Richardson, if he, you know, has like top 10 NFL draft capital, comes with an extremely appealing fantasy profile, downfield thrower, rushing upside, Um I guess the main concern is, does he play all that much as a rookie? But where he's going as part of a three-quarterback build in a 20-round draft where a three-quarterback build is kind of like basically the default, I mean, it's like, God, could you imagine like a better type of quarterback to have in the fantasy playoffs? And the way I'd, I'd like to think about these drafts is like the purpose of your last-round picks is the fantasy playoffs, is, is your like spike week hunting for the fantasy playoffs, you're probably already making the playoffs advancing out of your 12 team league with the guys that you took with the vast majority of your draft capital. Like it's, it's unlikely. Like you talked about Tyler Algier earlier, like Tyler Algier didn't did nothing in the regular season. He was quite helpful in the fantasy playoffs. And I think we see that a lot with um, some of these later round picks. A lot of the later round picks that hit our, our rookies, you know, I'm Ross St. Brown coming through in the playoffs two years ago stuff like that. Uh, and Anthony Richardson has the exact type of profile that you'd be looking for, for a spike week in the playoffs. It's going to be tougher when we get to um, get to best ball mania and it's 18 rounds. And, you know, if you have to take him in like the 16th round or even higher, you know, if you, and he doesn't start right away, it, it's going to really hurt you uh, much more than it does now. Right now it's like, you don't even need him. You, you, you could like, you're getting, you could get a zero for that pick the entire uh, 14 first weeks of the season. And then, you know, he helps get you through one of the, one of the advancing uh, single week tournaments. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I love him. I think he's a great, great pick right now. And I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of downside with him, but it's, it's all priced in. 
Yeah, I think what Paul and both say in the chat, Daniel Jones looking for 45 mil a year. Like, that's what I think the league is pushing towards is these guys who can be a dual threat or can be some approximation of a dual threat, and especially if you get them on a rookie deal. So Richardson, to me, I think should be a day one starter. Again, uh, people comparing to Malik Willis. Malik Willis played at Liberty. Richardson played at Florida and played like legit teams. Like, he strafed LSU. Like, he beat up on some good teams. 38% avoid a tackle rate, which is, again, higher than a lot of the rookie running backs out there. So to me, Richardson is just one of those guys that right away, like, I think right now he definitely should get drafted like Pat's talking about. I would still take him in the 18th round in like a best ball mania format too, because I think you're going to be behooved to like start him day one. And if you get that right, and if he's good, like he is a guy that you don't even need the stack. You don't need to know what team he's on. He could put up 20 in week 18 or week 17 rather, and have that be like, be the score you need. Yeah. And, and full disclosure, I was in on Willis uh, at, at this time last year. And then I was in on him a little bit. I was like sprinkling him a tiny bit in BBM after he was a third round pick, but I wasn't like, I just felt like he was probably not really going to play. So I didn't want to burn that pick. Cause I, like I said, I think there is some opportunity cost to that, but um, Richardson seems like he has a much, much stronger draft capital uh, profile that he's likely to get. He seems like, and this could change. You, you should, we should be very price sensitive here on, on this. Like if there's, Rumors after the combine that that teams are not that sold on him as a first round pick. We should be listening to that. But right now, it's like I'm seeing him getting mocked in the top ten. And so, if you're getting this type of profile with that level of draft capital, then Willis isn't really the comp. The comp is Trey Lance. And you know, if you're getting Trey Lance is not worked out. But if you're getting a chance for Trey Lance with a 17th or 18th round pick, I mean, that's obviously a massive value. Um, and Trey Lance himself is going with like a 10th round pick. I, I haven't really taken him because I'm like, I can get Richards. Richardson's the same play, you know, and Richardson might, I think Richardson has a lower chance of starting week one, but potentially a higher, if he gets top 10 draft capital, I would give Richardson a higher chance of starting week 17 because he doesn't have to deal with Brock Purdy coming back and potentially being healthy by then. So, you know, again, if we're just playoff spike week hunting, Richardson, I, he just has an awesome profile for that. I, I think the Colts should sit and take him, like pairing him with Steichen. I think and I've tweeted the stake, so it's not. I think people have had similar thoughts, but like if they put him on the Jalen Hurts plan from day one and take the warts, take the fact that he's going to make some mistakes, he's going to be inaccurate and all that stuff. But I think he's going to be good faster than later and like elite rushing traits like that carried Justin Fields, who could not complete a pass last year. So uh, Richardson to me, I think, is a guy that I just want to plant a flag for in every episode. And then when we're right, we can all victory lap it. And I think Richardson better for my brand, Pete, than Drew Locke, some could say. Yeah, that's a, this say. is a much smarter bet, uh, much uh, better uh, horse to hit your wagon to here, Spags. All right, so Pete, what are the plugs here? I, or I guess Pat, we should ask first. Pat, what are the plugs? What's the uh, content offseason looking like for you? Uh, yeah, still figuring out some of the details on that, but always check out Ship Chasing Wednesdays, 9-15. Um, check out Road Roll Football Show. I'll be on there uh, Thursday. And uh, I'm going to be doing um, a lot of rookie content. Post-combine, I'm going to roll out a bunch of bunch of rookie stuff so be on the lookout for that and Pete, what do you got coming up uh doing the club today at 4 30 gonna recap nba all-star weekend with mike zakarian who is out in salt lake city uh what do we got spags you and i are going to be doing a friday morning edition of splash play at 10 i assume we'll be drafting for that yeah, yeah we'll hit right in the draft i will force you to draft all these guys we talked about and then we're just gonna have a team entirely of rookies and i'm sure that'll work out really well I 
Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Um, Lowell's on Thursday. We're having Pat Mayo on. That will be fun. And also on my channel on Thursday afternoon, I've gotten roped into doing an underdog baseball, best ball draft. The Badge Bros are going to be my Sherpas through this uncharted territory. So if you want to watch me draft what will probably end up being a disastrous baseball team, that'll be Thursday. And then my final plug, lots of plugs. I did going to start a weekly newsletter, just a little roundup of stuff going on, shows, things I'm enjoying, whatever strikes my fancy. I have that on my Twitter profile uh, there. If you want to subscribe to that free newsletter, I would appreciate it. So follow Pete at Peter Rosette. Follow Pat at Pat Corain. Follow me at Chris Spaggs. And of course, follow the show at Splash Play Pod. Oh, the subscribe thing just goes over Pat's face. Wow. That's so rude. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so rude, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> subscribe to the channel. Like the video. Leave a comment down below. We'll be back with you guys on Friday here for me and Pete doing a, a big board draft. Appreciate all you guys hanging out. We'll see you guys again soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.